think we'll make a start. We're just about on time. Welcome to the second in our Hot Topics series. This afternoon we're thinking about sexuality and gender issues, and we're very pleased to have John Stevens as our speaker. John is the National Director of FIEC. That's the group of churches that we're a part of. And um, thank you for taking the time to come speak to us. And just a reminder that there will be time for questions at the end. So if you think of anything, just scribble it down, and um, then we'll have a mic to pass around afterwards. And then there will be food, as normal. So I hope you're able to stay for that. And there's some books on seal at the back, which we'll mention at the end, uh, to let you know what those are. So let me, just before I hand over to John, uh, pray, and then I'll give... John, the rest of the time that we have. Father, we bow to you as the creator, the one who knows us best, and we want to listen to what you have to say about human beings and what is best for us. And so as we take this time uh, to think about a biblical view of this issue, we pray that you will help John as he speaks. Help us as we listen, and I pray that we will come to a greater understanding of the things that we're uh, discussing tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to come and uh, speak to you. This is a huge topic that we're going to be thinking about tonight, and it's also um, a really relevant, I think, topic. This is a crucial issue that Christians are having to grapple with and deal with because of the totally changed attitudes in our society that have really developed very, very quickly. The whole area of sex and gender is regularly in the news, and it's an area where at least orthodox traditional Christian thinking is completely out of step with what our culture is saying. So my hope this evening is to help us to think about these issues, to try to understand what our culture is saying, and then to reflect on what the Bible has to say, and then how we as Christians should respond to the culture in which um, we find ourselves. Just by way of introduction, even this week, I don't know if you picked up, there's been some controversy over a film that's been produced by the Core Issues Trust, which is a group that seeks to help people who are struggling with same-sex attraction and help them to be able to uh, overcome that same-sex attraction. They have produced a film which basically tells the testimony of about 15 people who would say they were gay, but through the help of this group they've now been delivered from that and they no longer struggle with same-sex attraction. They um, uh, booked a cinema in London, in Leicester Square, the View Cinema, to be able to show this film. And then earlier this week, when the cinema discovered the content of the film, they banned it from being shown. They uh, cancelled the booking um, because they said that the film was inconsistent with their values. There was a small protest outside the cinema on Friday night by those who made the booking. But the reason it was cancelled is because this film was seen as kind of advocating um, uh, kind of gay cure therapy. And uh, that is seen as being um, uh, immoral, wrong and abusive uh, by the contemporary culture. And so therefore the cinema chain was not willing to even show the film, despite the fact that all it was doing was telling the stories of 15 people speaking of how they had, um, in their sort of terms, been rescued from uh, same-sex attraction. That's just one of the examples of the ways that this is a contemporary and relevant issue uh, for us as Christians um, today. In the uh, next couple of weeks, uh, somebody called 
um, uh, 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 sort of uh, uh, that we just see the kind of the, the, the growing um, uh, pressure uh, on issues of sexuality and transgenderism. Uh, uh, Conchita Wurst is a name you may not recognize. It was an Austrian transgender person who kind of won the Eurovision Song Contest a couple of, days ago, a couple of years ago, is going to be giving a concert on Radio 2, and it's all been being promoted as sort of uh, something to um, uh, kind of follow and uh, watch. The uh, kind of issue at the moment is transgender. It's only a couple of years ago that Bruce Jenner became Kaplan Jenner, um, uh, started to undergo gender reassignment and was voted as Woman of the Year. It was quite interesting. Um, uh, uh, earlier last week, there were uh, kind of the celebrations for the 100 years since women were given the vote. Vogue magazine had a number of models um, that they uh, photographed to celebrate this, one of whom was transgender. Um, uh, you watch uh, any television program, any television series, there are endless programs about um, people transitioning from male to female or female uh, to male. Boy Meets Girl was a BBC Two sitcom about a relationship between a man and um, uh, sort of a, a transgender uh, woman. We've uh, seen that people who um, take alternative views and are opposed to transgenderism and have taken the view that it's not possible for a man to become a woman have been no platformed at universities and been um, refused permission to speak. So Jermaine Greer, for example, the feminist, was basically banned from speaking because of her view that a man cannot become um, uh, a woman. And Christians have found themselves penalised in a variety of ways for their views uh, on issues of sexuality and gender, and particularly same-sex marriage. So a high-profile case of a social work student who posted something on his Facebook page um, against same-sex marriage and was then thrown off his course. I think it was at Sheffield University. A magistrate who said that he would, uh, was not in favour of same-sex marriage again was forced to resign because of his um, position. Increasingly, it's coming into um, schools. The government is just engaged in a consultation on relationships education in schools. A part of that will be seeking to teach children about homosexuality and transgender um, uh, kind of issues. Schools are in increasingly seeking to be incredibly sensitive um, to children who identify as transgender. Um, some school children are being asked to choose their gender before they start school. There's a, a significant amount of controversy about transsexual um, men competing in women's um, sport um, uh, 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 on equal terms uh, with uh, women. There was a, a kind of an Iranian um, uh, female football team of which nine members of the team were actually transsexual men who were members of the football team. So this is sort of um, part of the culture in which we find ourselves and I guess uh, we may as Christians find ourselves rubbing up against policies about sort of uh, homosexuality and transgender issues. We may find ourselves being asked by friends or by others what, what we think. Uh, we may have uh, significant pastoral issues in our own churches as we find people uh, coming to church who identify either as gay or as transgender. So it's an issue that we can't avoid in the culture um, at the moment. Let's turn then to God's word. I want to read God's word before we then seek to look at what our culture is saying um, and then come back to the biblical material. I think um, the passage we'll read is from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32, which is perhaps the most sustained um, New Testament teaching on the whole issue of sort of homosexuality. 
Um, I'm not going to teach this passage as such, but we will refer to it later. But it kind of sets the pattern for it. So from uh, Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual, sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Well, what is our culture saying about issues of sexuality and gender? Um, Why is our culture promoting homosexuality? Why is it promoting um, transgenderism in the way that it is? I think it's vitally important that we understand what our culture is saying and why our culture is um, saying it. We won't be able to respond effectively until we first of all understand. Now, um, in our culture, um, uh, people, uh, our culture has taken the view that your sexuality and um, your gender and how you express your gender are crucial to your identity. The most crucial issue for most people in culture today is their identity. Who am I? What makes me, me? And uh, uh, we live in a culture of what's called identity politics, in which um, uh, people want to assert their identity. Now, that may be um, their identity in terms of, of their race, but increasingly, sexual, um, sexuality and gender have become a crucial aspect of identity. So people want to be able to assert um, their uh, identity, and they see their sexuality and gender as crucial to who they are. That's vital for us to understand as Christians, because as soon as we start challenging a person's views about their sexuality or their gender, they feel that it's a personal attack on their very being. That's how they feel it, and that's how they understand it, because it's, it's crucial to who they are. Bound up with that, we live in a culture which has taken the view that consenting adults should basically be free to live as they please. 
uh, a kind of an individualism that says I can be whatever I want to be. Nobody should constrain me. There should be no external moral um, uh, control over me. I can live as um, I please. So if I want to uh, engage in sexual relationships with another consenting adult, irrespective of their gender, it's nobody's business except mine. So um, a consenting adult should be free to live as they please. The uh, consequences of that are that in contemporary culture, homosexuality and transgenderism are presented as being normal and natural. They're seen as being normal and being natural. There are some people who are attracted to people of the same sex. There are some people who are uncomfortable um, with their sex and wish to change their gender. And that's not seen as somehow a problem. That's just seen as a normal situation. So if somebody is struggling with same-sex attraction um, feelings, that that is simply normal and natural and therefore ought to be encouraged and accepted rather than in any way challenged. So homosexuality and transgenderism are seen as being normal and natural. And, uh, of course, because people are are, are free to do as they please, um, uh, people should be allowed to act on their feelings and on their sexual attractions. As a consequence in society, diversity should be celebrated and accepted rather than being restricted. So um, uh, homosexuality and transgenderism um, are not just normal and natural, but they're things that should be celebrated as part of the diversity of uh, what human beings are like. So therefore, to refuse to endorse homosexuality and transgenderism as normal and natural, to refuse to celebrate them, to refuse to allow others to be able to live as they wish, is seen as being intolerant and phobic. That's how it's um, perceived. So we talk about or we hear about homophobia or or trans um, uh, phobia. Uh, I think actually uh, more recently from a Christian perspective, um, uh, uh, the the traditional Christian teaching about sexuality and about gender is, is being seen not just as something that's intolerant and bigoted, it's actually being seen as something that's abusive. Uh, I've heard the argument being made a number of times by people that the traditional Christian teaching um, uh, causes people who struggle with same-sex attraction to uh, feel worthless and it prompts them to commit suicide. Or the same is true in relation to people who are struggling with gender issues. The traditional Christian teaching is seen as sort of abusive because it leads to people taking their own lives. I think that's a reality that we need to face up to, that that is often how traditional Christian teaching is being presented um, and being um, understood. Now, why is our culture saying this? Um, uh, I think as Christians, it's easy for us to be very surprised. Romans 1 tells us we shouldn't be surprised at all. When people reject God and turn away from him, they have no moral basis. It's inevitable that they will, in the end, think that whatever they feel they want to do is right and that they should be free to live as they please. The fundamental problem is that when people have rejected God, they have no basis other than their own feelings to determine what is right and what is wrong. So we ought to understand that the fundamental problem of our society is that it's turned away from God, and it's rejected him, and the way that it thinks about sexuality and gender is the logical consequence of turning away from God. 
Well, let's look specifically at homosexuality and transgenderism uh, just to try to understand um, these two different things, to understand how they fit in our society at the moment. Uh, Homosexuality is basically um, uh, people who are attracted sexually to people of the same sex as them. So homosexual men are attracted to other men. Lesbian women are attracted to um, other women sexually. People who are bisexual are attracted to people of um, both sexes. And uh, historically it's clear that there have always been people who have been um, attracted to people of the same sex. That's been universal throughout all of human history. For much of human history that has been um, frowned upon um, and has often led to uh, kind of criminal sanctions. Uh, That was the case in the uh, UK. Um, up until 50 years ago. It's 50 years ago that um, uh, sex between consenting male adults was legalised in 1967. Prior to that, um, even consenting uh, homosexual uh, sexual acts between men um, could attract um, uh, the the penalties of the criminal law. Um, Interestingly, lesbianism was never criminalised um, in the UK. It's said because Queen Victoria didn't even believe that it existed. But uh, whether or that... Not that's true, uh, it may be apocryphal. But it's uh, 50 years since uh, homosexual um, acts were decriminalised between uh, consenting um, adults. At that particular time, the arguments in favour was that it, it wasn't right for the criminal law to penalise people um, uh, who were uh, sort of uh, consenting. Um, uh, but they were still, um, the way that it was articulated at that time, it was still seen as something that was um, abnormal and not to be encouraged. Very rapidly, the gay rights movement developed, which wanted to advocate full acceptance and tolerance of um, uh, people who were uh, homosexual. And there's been a a gradual process of change that has removed discrimination against those who um, are sort of uh, homosexual. So in the 1980s, Clause 28 prevented schools from promoting homosexuality. Um, uh, That has been uh, removed and taken away. In uh, 1999, equality legislation began to be introduced that made it illegal to discriminate against people on the grounds of their sexual orientation. The age of consent for homosexual relationships has been equalized with that of heterosexual relationships. And then the state began to introduce regulated relationships for those who were homosexual. So civil partnerships were introduced in 2005. And then finally in 2014, uh, same-sex marriage was uh, introduced in um, uh, kind of England and Wales and Scotland. It's still not been introduced in uh, Northern Ireland. So there's been massive change, um, a removal of discrimination and the introduction of gay marriage, which has sought to, um, from the perspective of the state, make heterosexual relationships and homosexual relationships completely equal in the eyes of the law. As I said, um, um, uh, at the same time, uh, gay cure therapies are increasingly rejected. There have been proposals in the House of Commons that gay cure therapies should be kind of um, uh, criminalised and um, uh, sort of uh, prohibited. And uh, the government has also indicated um, uh, that it's foreign aid. Um, it's not prepared to use its foreign aid budget to help countries where homosexuality is still criminalised. So that's the position in relation to um, homosexuality, a complete equality um, uh, before uh, the law. Um, If homosexuality is about attraction to people of the same sex, um, uh, transgenderism, what is transgenderism? 
and how we, how we to understand uh, transgenderism. Transgenderism is the latest, uh, in a sense, crusade. Homosexuality, in a sense, is sort of been dealt with by the state. That complete equality has been achieved. The um, focus has moved on to issues of transgenderism. And, and the kind of key issue in transgender is what, what makes you a man or a woman? What makes you male or female? Now, um, uh, in order to understand transgenderism, you need to um, grasp the difference between sex and gender. It's a, it's a crucial distinction. Sex is biological. And biologically, people are either male or female. That's determined essentially by their genitals. You are biologically male um, or uh, female. That is sex. It's a matter of biology. Gender is an idea that was really developed by feminists in the 1950s. And gender is what makes you male or female, masculine or feminine. Gender is not about your biology, it's about kind of the social constructs of what it means to be male or female, masculine or feminine. The most obvious example of those would be clothing. So certain clothing is seen as being indicative of being male, other clothing is seen indicative of being female. And that's a, a kind of a cultural expression. Now, there might be all sorts of other cultural expressions, the way you dress, the way you have your hair, the way you relate to other people. Gender is that sort of um, sense of masculinity and femininity. Now, historically, um, uh, humanity took the view that, uh, that whether you were male or female and expressed your gender as male or female should be determined by your biology. What transgenderism is says that your biology and your gender don't have to go together. So you can have um, a, a sexual biology and yet want to express a different uh, gender. So essentially somebody who is transgender is someone who is wanting to express their gender as something different to their biology. So biologically they're male, but they want to express as female. Does that make any sense? And actually they believe that mentally they are female. That that is their real self. In other words, the real self is different to who they are biologically. So, so a person who is transgender is basically saying, um, the real me is different from my biology. Biologically I might be male, but... Really, I'm gender terms, I'm female and I want to express as being uh, female. And the key thing in transgenderism is the idea that your biology doesn't determine what your gender is. Your gender is separate from uh, your biology. So a person who's transgender wants to express a, a different gender. They want to be male or female, masculine or feminine, not determined by their biology. Now, somebody who is a transsexual is somebody who wants to bring their biology into line with what they think their gender is. So a male transsexual is somebody who um, was biologically male, believes their real gender is female, 
and so therefore wants to undergo treatment and surgery to bring their body into line with their feeling that they are female. So a person who's transsexual is seeking to change their biology to fit with their gender. So male to female transsexual or a, a female to male transsexual. Now, medically, that's quite a long process and obviously involves significant surgery. Um, uh, the state of medical science and um, plastic surgery is such that um, uh, 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 kind of they can transform a person's body to the point where it's almost indistinguishable from somebody who is born biologically with a particular sex. So somebody who is transsexual is um, someone who has changed their body to be brought in line with their uh, understood gender. Now, um, another key idea here is the idea of gender dysphoria. And uh, for those people who sort of uh, are transgender and then want to undergo transition, want to uh, change their body to fit with their understanding of their gender, um, that's uh, sort of uh, been termed a medical condition called gender dysphoria, which basically means the idea that somebody is unhappy about the difference between their sexual biology and their gender. So the idea of gender dysphoria is that the person is deeply psychologically unhappy with their biological sex because they don't think their biological sex fits with who they really are. The kind of language that people use is, is I'm really a woman born, born in a man's body. I'm a man born in a, a, a woman's body. And there's no doubt that there are people who are very severely psychologically affected because of those feelings. And it's those feelings that um, lead to the medical profession deciding that they can undergo transition um, and uh, become uh, transsexual. Um, um, in UK law, it's been uh, lawful for people to change their gender since 2005. So um, a person who undergoes gender reassignment becomes transsexual, is capable of changing um, their sex um, uh, sort of before the law, and so having, for example, their birth certificate and all their details uh, changed so that they can become lawfully the new um, uh, sort of sex. Now, with both homosexuality and transgenderism, um, in the way that I've described it, ultimately both of those positions still think in terms of a binary division between male and female. So um, in homosexuality, men are attracted to men, women attracted to women. In classic transgenderism and transsexualism, a man wants to become a woman or a woman wants to become a man. There's still that sense of two distinct sexes and genders. The growing current thing is the idea of gender fluidity or pansexuality. And that's a sort of a much more radical deconstructing of even the idea of male and female. Because some um, pansexuality or, or, or kind of gender fluidity says really there is no sharp distinction between male and female. It's just a, a continuum. It's just a spectrum. And everybody's some way along it. And for some people, they're in a fixed position, but for other people, they're, they're constantly changing where they are on that spectrum. One day they feel more of a woman, one day they feel more of a man. 
and they can shift and change between those uh, kind of positions. So a kind of a radical overthrowing, not just of biology, but also of the very idea of distinct genders at all. Now, very small numbers of people um, suffer from gender dysphoria, and a very small number of people undergo um, gender reassignment surgery. It's a tiny, tiny percentage. But because um, transgenderism has become um, uh, so significant culturally, because it's been the latest sort of fight, um, there are growing numbers of particularly children and adolescents and particularly um, uh, kind of adolescent girls presenting with issues of gender dysphoria. The more that it's been talked about, the more people seem to be coming forwards as struggling uh, with this um, uh, situation. So that's what homosexuality and transgenderism are. What causes people to be um, suffering same-sex attraction or feelings of gender dysphoria? Well, the answer there is nobody really knows. Um, there'll be a lot of discussion in which people want to say uh, that they know what causes either homosexuality or gender dysphoria. But actually the reality is there's no solid scientific evidence that establishes why it is that some people um, experience these particular feelings. So um, uh, often um, uh, the uh, homosexual um, rights activist will want to say that it's a matter of genes. It's, it's the way you're born. It's just natural. But nobody has yet discovered the gay gene that establishes that this is sort of somehow a kind of a genetically rooted um, situation. At the same time, there's great reluctance to say that it's a, a cause of psychological factors, because the implication of that is if it's psychologically rooted, then maybe there might be psychological treatments that are available. And um, as we've already seen, the one thing that people don't want to accept is that there might be treatments that enable people to sort of um, uh, change um, in their identity. Others would argue that it's simply a matter of personal choice. So Peter Tatchell, a gay rights um, activist, would say, no, you just choose whether you want to be homosexual or heterosexual. You choose whether you want to be um, uh, transgender or not. But the honest answer is that nobody knows definitively um, what is um, the cause. So that's the, the secular kind of world in which we're living um, uh, those are the outlooks that we have to deal with and people present as homosexual, they present as um, transgender and that's the position from which they're coming. There are of course alternative uh, views um, in uh, society. These things are not universally held. So uh, very often people who have strong religious views um, are, 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 are kind of don't adopt um, uh, this way of thinking. So in 2015, uh, YouGov did a survey of attitudes towards homosexuality, and across the country as a whole, 16% of people responded that they considered that homosexuality was, was morally unacceptable. Uh, interestingly, 29% of people in London said that they thought that homosexuality was morally uh, unacceptable. You might not have thought that. You'd have thought it would be the liberal capital. But actually the reason is because of the large numbers of, um, kind of uh, immigrants who've come all around the world to London who hold more conservative views, perhaps because of their religion or because of their culture. So it's not a, a, a unanimous view. 
Um, and the issue of transsexuality has prompted particular backlash from uh, feminists who have seen that um, the transgender movement, uh, they've seen it as being an attack primarily on women. So uh, there's no doubt that the vast majority of um, transsexualism is male to female. It's men who want to become women. And uh, feminists have responded by saying that you can't just become a woman by simply undergoing an operation. And that's raised all sorts of questions about women's sport, um, about, for example, women's refuges, women's changing rooms, the whole idea that just because a man feels that he wants to be a woman, he should be treated as a woman in every respect, has led to a backlash from the feminists who've said this is to abolish women. And there's a significant debate going on um, between feminists and transgender um, activists. Um, as ever, it's also the case that um, our, our culture is not consistent and we can point to some of the inconsistencies in the way that we approach these issues. So um, I picked up earlier this, uh, this week that um, the uh, Welsh Assembly has basically banned body piercing for under-18s, particularly kind of intimate body piercing. It's quite ironic, isn't it, that kind of uh, body piercing is kind of seen as being um, uh, kind of something you can't choose to do because of the damage that it will potentially do to you before you reach the age of 18. But we still encourage people to perhaps pursue sort of transgenderism and um, prepare for sex change operations before that age. What, what's going on there that people need to be protected against choosing body piercing but not protected against pursuing gender reassignment surgery? Um, why is it that we continue to regard polygamy and incest as um, un unlawful um, and criminal um, uh, when, uh, if we have the view that consenting adults should be able to do what they want? It's not as simple as saying that we allow anything. Uh, it seems uh, interesting that we're willing to recognize gender dysphoria, the idea of being unhappy with your gender as a, a condition that deserves treating, but a person who is unhappy with their same-sex attraction feelings um, isn't treated in the same way. So somebody who's struggling with same-sex attraction, we don't recognize the idea of sexual orientation dysphoria and want to help them. In, in fact, um, exactly the opposite, um, uh, the desire to want to ban any kind of gay conversion therapy. Although it's a, a completely different category of behavior, our culture doesn't regard paedophilia as being a kind of a, a sexual orientation that some people have to struggle with. That's seen as being a, 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 a kind of a, a choice that people make that, that deserves kind of criminal sanction. Why is it that we regard some kinds of sexual attractions as being a kind of sexual identity, whereas not others? So there is some inconsistency in the way that our culture thinks about these things. Well, I hope that's helped you to understand just a little bit about our culture and what it's saying and why it's saying it. And we need to understand that in order to know how to respond in the best possible way. Well, what does the Bible have to say about these things? How do we as Christians respond to what our culture is saying and what our culture is doing? And I think if we're going to engage with these um, issues, we need to understand what the Bible is saying clearly. Um, uh, for ourselves. 
Well, what do we find the Bible teaches? Well, we have to understand that all of these issues of sexuality and gender, from a biblical perspective, need to be understood in the context of the bigger picture of what the Bible says about marriage and sex as a whole. So we need to understand it in the context of the much bigger picture of what the Bible says about sex and marriage um, as a whole. And the consistent biblical teaching from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible is that sex is exclusively given by God as something good for a marriage between a man and a woman. The Bible is not anti-sex, but it sees sex as being given by God for a very particular context. That goes right back to creation in the book of Genesis, where God creates Adam and Eve, not just as first man and first woman, but as first husband and first wife. And it flows all the way through the Bible that the only appropriate context for sexual relationships is between a man and a woman um, in committed lifelong marriage. That's the biblical um, understanding. So we find, for example, in Leviticus chapter 18, where um, uh, the Old Testament law deals with a whole variety of sexual behaviours, that all sexual behaviour outside of the context of uh, a marriage between a man and a woman is seen by God as being sinful and therefore uh, wrongful. So um, uh, sort of Leviticus covers adultery, it covers homosexuality, it covers at its most extreme bestiality. It says that anything that deviates from a relationship between a man and a woman in marriage is uh, against God's good purposes um, for sex. Sex is given by God um, uh, for marriage and for the procreation of children. It's intrinsically bound up with um, uh, bringing children uh, into um, the world. And uh, the marriage relationship is a model of the relationship between Christ and the church. So in the letter to Ephesians, we discover that right from the very beginning, a human marriage, the two becoming one flesh, is a picture or a symbol given by God to point to the ultimate reality of the ultimate marriage between Jesus and the church, his people. So the consistent biblical teaching from beginning to end is that sex is only appropriate in marriage between a man and a woman. I think one of the things that therefore we need to grasp, particularly as Christians, is that homosexuality and transgenderism are not uniquely sort of sinful and wicked. Actually, any deviation from what God has established as the proper context for sex falls short of his standard and and attracts his judgment. So we we need to, in a sense, have that perspective. Um, uh, In wider society, a very small percentage of people are homosexual, a very small percentage of people are transgender. But a very large number of people who are heterosexual are quite happy to have sex outside of marriage. They're quite happy to commit adultery. They're quite happy to divorce. All of those things fall short of what God has said in his word. And we need to have that right perspective. So sex is exclusive for marriage. So therefore it's not surprising that we find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that homosexual sex is seen as being um, sinful um, and wrong. 
So we find that in the uh, kind of our Old Testament in the book of Genesis where we find Sodom and Gomorrah are condemned because of their attitudes towards uh, homosexuality. Similarly in Leviticus um, uh, chapter 18 and chapter 20 it specifically speaks about um, uh, sort of uh, homosexual acts and says that those are prohibited by God's law. It's not surprising that we find that then echoed in the New Testament. Um, The New Testament standard is not different from the Old Testament. We find that through the New Testament, um, uh, homosexuality or homosexual acts are um, uh, condemned as being sinful and um, immoral. Homosexuality is well known in the uh, Greco-Roman world. And the key word for sexual immorality that's used throughout the Old Testament is is the word porneiai. And it covers all kinds of sexual immorality, all kinds of sexual behavior outside of marriage, including adultery, fornication, homosexuality, prostitution. So it's a general word that describes all kinds of sexual immorality. Romans chapter 1 here speaks very specifically of um, uh, sort of uh, sexual relationships between people of the same sex, both between women and between uh, men, and sees them as a result of sin and rebellion against God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 similarly talks about sort of male homosexuality and uh, sees it as being um, sinful. So the New Testament specifically uh, names homosexual practice as one of a number of sins. Again, just notice in uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul uh, speaks about homosexual relationships, but he then talks about a, a vast range of other sins which are the consequences of having rejected God. Again, we need to be careful not to think that homosexuality is somehow uniquely sinful and not sort of uh, hold it alongside all of those other things that Paul speaks about. What about transgenderism? Well, again, um, uh, the Bible says that God created men and women, uh, male and female. He created two sexes. Um, The idea of gender separate from sex is a a, a really kind of mid-20th century invention. The Bible says that um, your biology does determine your gender, and therefore that people should not um, uh, seek to live differently from their biological um, uh, sex. So Deuteronomy talks about men not wearing women's clothing. There's a right and a proper distinction to be maintained there. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about different hairstyles that are appropriate for men and women. There's at least something there about how the distinctions between men and women are to be maintained and manifested. The New Testament does speak about people who um, are in a third category, eunuchs, who have been um, either by accident or deliberately, um, uh, they've had their biology changed. And they become a a, a kind of a tragic third category um, of people who have been damaged uh, and are not able to function as men and women in the way they were created and intended to be. Uh, What about our identity? Well, the Bible says that fundamentally our identity is found in who we are in relation to God. Our identity is not found in our sexuality or indeed in our sex or our gender. Our our identity is fundamentally found in being created in the image of God. That's who we are as human beings. So right back at the beginning of Genesis, we were made in the image of God. And um, for Christians, we find that our image is ultimately found in being in Christ. Um, uh, fundamental to our identity uh, is not actually issues of race, it's not issues of our sex, it's not issues of our sexuality. Our identity is found by being uh, in 
uh, Christ. So we need to not buy into the whole identity politics of contemporary culture. Now, although the Bible um, uh, says that homosexual acts are sort of uh, sinful and fall short of God's good standard, and that we're created to be um, uh, sort of male and female, to have particular sex and agenda to flow from that, the Bible is also utterly realistic that we live in a fallen world in which God's good creation has been damaged and ruined. Each and every one of us is fallen. And that means to say that we're subject to sinful desires, twisted um, desires. So we don't think and feel the way that we ought to. So the Bible doesn't deny that there are people who experience same-sex attraction. There are people who experience gender dysphoria. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because those are the results of living in a fallen world in which our flesh is fallen and we have all kinds of desires for sexual immorality and uh, numerous other sins that come from being fallen uh, people. So um, uh, even when we're Christians, we continue to experience those desires that come from our fallen flesh. There's a battle on within us between the new self that's been created in Christ and the fallen self. So Paul can speak in Galatians chapter 5 about the conflict between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. So I think we need to understand that the desires that people have, same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, are part and parcel of living in a fallen world. We all suffer from temptations to sin. Your particular temptations may not be same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, but for some people, those are the temptations that they experience and they they have to uh, wrestle against. And of course, the great good news of the gospel is that there is forgiveness, salvation and transformation for those who turn to Christ. Not necessarily deliverance in the sense that the temptations are totally taken away. For some people that may well be true, but not necessarily for all. So we have to live um, biblically with this tension between God's clear good purpose for sex in marriage... And the reality of living in a fallen world in which people struggle against temptations, including same-sex attraction, and including um, gender dysphoria and a discomfort um, with their biological sex. Now, some have come to the conclusion of wanting to say that God welcomes committed homosexual relationships. They want to say that, 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 that maybe that's either not what the Bible teaches or that um, uh, kind of we ought to take some different view today. So there are one of the challenges is there are people within the church, people who would say that they're Christians, who um, take a different view about homosexuality. And you, you come across a variety of common arguments. So um, uh, there are some who say Jesus says nothing about homosexuality, as if that kind of solves the issue. Well, we mustn't draw a false distinction between Paul and Jesus, but Jesus confirms all of the Bible's teaching about marriage and sex. He may not specifically mention homosexuality, although he does talk about pornei, but he does affirm all of the Bible's teaching about sex and marriage. There are some who argue that the New Testament, um, uh, when it talks about homosexuality, is only talking about abusive or promiscuous homosexual relationships. It's not talking about loving 
homosexual acts between people who are committed to each other. That was a, an argument that was common a few years ago. Um, the argument was that um, actually the Bible, didn't, Bible times didn't know about those kinds of loving homosexual relationships. But sort of that argument has fallen by the wayside because there's lots of evidence in the ancient world that people knew of loving homosexual relationships. It simply doesn't work to hold that view. Still less does the argument that some people used, which was saying the Bible doesn't really condemn homosexuality. It only condemns people who are heterosexual experimenting with homosexuality. They thought that's what it meant in Romans uh, chapter 1 about being against nature. I said, well, what that's describing is somebody who's really heterosexual, basically experimenting with homosexuality, therefore it's against their nature. You might hear that argument. I, I don't think there's any strength to that at all. Uh, in fact, the, the, the most common argument that's used today by people in the church is actually one that's very different and that's harder to deal with. Because the argument that people are using in favour of homosexuality and homosexual relationships today is to say that um, uh, in the Bible we see that homosexual relationships are condemned, but that simply reflects the culture of the time. And it's rather like slavery. And when God was speaking in the first century, he was accommodating himself to what the culture expected. But now we know better and God is saying something different. Now we can see that it was always God's purpose to maintain equality and to set people free, to end slavery. And in the same way, we now know today that God wouldn't say that loving homosexual relationships are wrong. So the Bible may well say that, but that's not what God is saying today. We've learned and we know better. And just like we realized that slavery was wrong, we've now realized that sort of homosexual relationships are not to be uh, penalized. Jesus, after all, just accepts people as they are. Those are the kind of arguments that are used. And a number of churches and church groups have, have accepted practicing homosexuality. Um, as being um, uh, acceptable for Christians and indeed acceptable for clergy and those ministering uh, in the church. This is a big fight in the Church of England at the moment. Um, and then there are other churches that have held to the traditional Christian teaching, whether it be the Roman Catholic Church or many conservative evangelicals. So that gives just a bit of a flavour of what's happening. So how then do we respond to these issues as Christians? some uh, pointers that I hope are helpful. I think we need to keep our eyes clearly focused on what the Christian mission is. The mission for Christians is first and foremost to make disciples for the Lord Jesus. Our task is not first and foremost to impose a morality on unbelievers. The great task that we have as Christians is to uh, sort of win people to the Lord Jesus uh, and to become obedient to him. So I think we need to kind of keep clear that that's our great task. And as we think about people who are struggling with issues of homosexuality or transgenderism, we need to realise always that their greatest problem is that they don't know Christ. And actually, in coming to know Christ, that's where forgiveness and transformation is, is brought about. The challenge for us as Christians is to hold together both the truth of what God's word says and the compassion that we should have to people who have fallen and need Christ. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that our first responsibility is to win people to the Lord Jesus.
Um, For those who are professing Christians, who engage in homosexual sex or who um, experience same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, we need to be honest that that is incompatible with a profession of faith in Christ. A person who um, recognises Christ as Lord will want to live in obedience to Christ. The Bible says that if somebody in the end refuses to repent of sin, um, refuses to recognise that their sin is sin, wants to celebrate their sin, then ultimately what they're doing is they're showing that they're not really a believer in the Lord Jesus at all. That's what um, church discipline is all about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and and chapter 6. Church discipline is not punishing people because they've sinned. Church discipline is saying that if a person has sinned but they won't repent and they don't think that what they're doing is sinful, there comes a point at which the church has to say, you're showing that you're not really a believer in the Lord Jesus and we need to treat you as an unbeliever rather than as someone who's a genuine follower of Christ. Some of the um, more difficult questions... What do we do when somebody's undergone gender reassignment and then become a Christian? So what happens when somebody who's a transsexual, transgender, comes into church and then becomes um, a Christian? Now that's one of the really complex questions. It seems to me that as far as possible we want people to be able to live in line with their biology. That's what God calls them to. But sometimes when a person becomes a Christian, that doesn't erase the past. It doesn't change things. And they may have to live in the unsatisfactory situation they find themselves in, knowing that in heaven they'll be remade the the way God wants them to be made. Sometimes it's not possible to go back. But at the very least, there perhaps needs to be a recognition that the situation they find themselves in is not normal and not right. It's rather like a person who's perhaps been divorced. And becoming a Christian doesn't automatically put that right. What about believers, unbelievers who are gay or transgender? Well, uh, again, we've got to demonstrate um, the love of Christ to those. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians is helpful here, saying that it's not the job of the church to judge unbelievers. We, uh, our task is to share the good news of the gospel with those who are unbelievers, win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of us will have to struggle with how do we deal with a gay colleague, a gay friend, maybe even a gay family member. Well, where they're not uh, Christians, um, then we need to show the love and the compassion of the Lord Jesus. And remember the Lord Jesus was criticised constantly because he was willing to associate with those who were sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes. He provides the pattern for it, I think, in those situations. And again, as people perhaps come to church who are homosexual or who are transgender, our task is to uh, kind of welcome them and uh, share the good news of the gospel with them. Now, of course, our, our gospel message is to call people to repent and believe the good news about the Lord Jesus. But we need to do that with a warmth and with a compassion. I think um, uh, one of the challenges that we have here um, is uh, the the danger of having um, Christian conceptions of masculinity and femininity that can contribute to people's gender dysphoria and um, struggles over issues of gender. If we have a very sharp view of what it means to be male and female, all men must be rugby players. 
all women must never be rugby players. But inevitably people will perhaps feel some tension because they're not fitting with the norm of what people are saying male and female ought to be. And you should be quite careful not to um, create false stereotypes of what it means to be male um, or female. Otherwise we can generate that confusion. And we need to prepare our children for the challenges of society. These issues won't go away. They'll be taught through the media. They'll be taught through schools. So we need to be making sure that we're helping our children to understand what people are saying, why they're saying it, and why as Christians we believe something different, and how to respond in an appropriate way. And of course in relation to Christians who are struggling with these issues, to Christians who are struggling with same-sex attraction or struggling with issues of gender dysphoria, we need to help them and support them to fight those temptations that they're facing. That's why um, a couple of the books at the back, um, a book by Sam Albury called Is God Anti-Gay? A book by Vaughan Roberts on transgender are hugely helpful in equipping us to help and support and encourage Christians who are struggling with these issues. I think there have been many Christians throughout history who have struggled with these issues. And often they've felt ashamed and they've not felt able to go and get help and support. It may well be that you're someone who's laboured and struggled with um, uh, sort of uh, same-sex attraction, maybe even issues of um, a kind of gender confusion, and you've never felt able to talk to anybody. You've never felt able to get any help as a Christian to know how to deal with that. Well, I think it's healthier that we can be more open and honest about those struggles. And if that is you, I would urge you to find a Christian friend, a pastor, a leader, who you can confide in, who can help you as you seek to struggle against those temptations and live faithfully and obediently to the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm conscious I've covered a huge amount of material there. Um, I, I, I hope it's been helpful to you to just think about both the cultural situation and the biblical teaching, and then just to think a little bit about what some of the pastoral implications of that may be. As I said, the books on the back are just hugely helpful um, if this has prompted your interest, if you, there are things you really disagree with, if there are things you want to think more about, I urge you to buy those books and to uh, take them because they'll enable you to engage more deeply with these issues than we ever possibly can in, in an hour's kind of time uh, together.